0: This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sleepwalkers, episodes two and four.
1: The trickster can hide an essential truth, as well as reveal it. So what you're saying is, he stopped Keith from going through the door because he wanted to hide the truth? Right. Well, what is the truth?
0: Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast promoting the 1996 Toy Biz line of Incredible Hulk action figures. (laughs) I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan?
2: You ever feel like a skunk at a Sunday picnic? (laughs) Who said that? Oh, you know what's funny? I wrote it down, but I don't remember who said it. I think it was from the second episode. I note really bad lines of dialogue. Well, before we get into this week's
0: episodes, uh, we're joined by a guest for uh, Sleepwalkers. It's the host of the Massive Damage Adventures podcast and my brother-in-law, Merrick. Welcome to the show,
1: Merrick. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here. So as you know, we're a television sci-fi podcast, and uh, I, we like to start off by asking some of our new guests, like, what's your, what's your history with sci-fi, or be more specifically, TV sci-fi?
1: Oh, I mean, history with sci-fi, if we're just talking general sci-fi, it's definitely movies. There was always a bunch of VHSs and eventually DVDs hanging around in my basement that my mom picked up at garage sales. And so I watched the regular ones, mostly Star Wars and, Star, and Stargate,
0: Oh, Stargate fan! Oh yes,
1: definitely all all iterations of Stargate, even uh, Stargate Universe, which I felt I always called Battle Stargate because you know <laughs> it's trying to trying to ride the Battlestar Galactica train. But uh, when it came to TV, it was after elementary school, coming home and watching um, uh, Star Trek Voyager.
0: No, oh, this, is, this is where the age difference comes in, that uh, Star Trek Voyager was in syndication. I believe when I got home, it was Next Generation that was on
1: television. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, I eventually went back and, uh, and watched The Next Generation in order and loved it. Um, but my experience with Next Generation was First Contact, which was basically my favorite science fiction movie for a couple of years.
0: Is that the one where the Borg go back in time? Or is that yes. the one where they
1: go to Young Planet? <laughs> that is the one where they go back in time. Okay. And then I was a fan when Insurrection came out. And I was like, this movie's great. And then I found out that people hated it. And I was like, you're all wrong. <laughs> this movie's amazing. It's great hearing all the cast
0: uh, pretend like their uh, bodies are getting younger. That's the best part of that movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty funny. I mean, I like campy sci fi, so it, it works. I don't need hard sci-fi.
0: Fair enough. I try to I I like uh what is it F Murray Abraham in that with his uh, face stretched back. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. <laughs> that was that was uh, almost a little too intense for young me.
0: <laughs> so, all right, lots of sci-fi history, but the big question is, had you heard of Sleepwalkers
1: before this week? Never. Never had I heard of this show.
0: Yes, this show is truly one of the
2: most unloved things I think we've watched.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: I mean, that might be <laughs> To be fair, that though, be true. <laughs> I'll give it this, though. And this is not a uh, to forgiving anything the show is. But it didn't get much of a chance either. You know, like two episodes and then canceled is not uh, oh, giving wow. a lot to the fans. That's true. And you did
0: find that variety uh, review
2: where that man said it was great. Yeah, that's right. I found one review and the guy's like, this is this thing's got legs. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs>
0: dead in a two weeks.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. I I didn't know that. I I specifically went in as blind as possible. Just started watching the episodes and uh was a little surprised.
0: I mean, I think these were good ones to watch. I think one of them started off with a whole recap, so you really didn't need any background.
1: That's true. Yeah. I got a I got a good gist of the uh, of the pilot.
0: You know, it was just a recap. Um who who plays Dr. Bradford again, Jordan? Bruce Greenwood. Yes, I believe the recap was Bruce Greenwood stood in front of the camera and said, Hey, Dreams, everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> dreams, am I right? <laughs> you know what? I actually was not able to follow a lot of the recap because I was staring at Bruce Greenwood going, Who are you? What do I know you from? <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm like, Ad 20 years, and I know I'm there, and I eventually got it.
0: That is kind of the Bruce Greenwood curse, I feel like. He is, like, in so much stuff, but he's also just, like, not an actor you know by name, necessarily. You're just like, oh, I know you from something. (laughs) All right, well, let's get into it, shall we? Here's the IMDb summary for episode two, Night Terrors. Kate and Nathan, who's been haunted by the memories of their dead partner, McKeg, investigate the night terrors of a young boy who's being influenced during his sleep by a smiling trickster.
2: The boy's missing sister turns out to be the key. Okay. I read that synopsis before. I think it's great that they just kind of blow the whole secret right in there in the synopsis.
1: That missing sister, she's going to be the key. Uh, that's exactly what I thought as you read that out. I'm like, that's a terrible synopsis.
2: <laughs> Although to be fair, I'm sure everyone felt the same way. When you start watching it, you're like, why is this little girl in all these scenes? It seems like she shouldn't be here. I wonder if she's involved later. <laughs>
1: You know what? I actually made a note because it was so out of left field when um, uh, Bruce Green with Nathan, right?
0: Nathan. Yeah, Nathan Bradford.
1: When he was interviewing the kid and he was like, do you have any brothers? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Do you have any siblings? I'm like, "What? You? you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ask that? They do no research before these people show up. They're like, who are you? Why are you here? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah but th- this episode does start off in the pretty much classic way this show needs to start off inside of dr bradford's dreams we're getting i guess a bit of background for his character because he's running across like a snowy mountain landscape chasing his wife um before she morphs into famed character actor ray wise mm-hmm. in a parka i know him best from twin peaks but he's in a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah uh and he's playing mccaig who i guess they've been teasing something bad happened at stanford and someone died and i guess it was this character mccaig has died um so and they they say in this episode he's like that's our former mccabe i thought it was mccaig don't look at me no one knows no one knows (laughs) anyway he's this former colleague who they say drowned at some point and i'm just like how i don't understand
2: how he died this man at stanford how did he drown it's funny because they've alluded to it in the last couple episodes that they got thrown out of Stanford because maybe their their experiments were too extreme or they were too out left field. So you, the assumption you'd be as a viewer is that something happened in a dreamscape with this guy. And they're like, oh yeah, by the way, he drowned in some uh, icy water. You're like, but what what does it have to do with the the dreamscape? Why would they have got thrown <laughs> out of school for that? They should have got their fishing license taken away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good question. And that's, that's what happens in this
0: dreamscape bradford falls through the ice and he finds himself trapped under the ice like in that classic way you fall through the ice and can't get out in in tv's movies and jordan listeners don't know this but off air a couple weeks ago we were literally talking about this trope the idea of falling through the ice as like how it's like the most growing up you're like this is going to happen it's going to happen to me one day
1: yeah yeah, exactly that and quicksand
0: there you go (laughs) this is a this is the exact conversation we had two weeks ago with a different guest. It's very funny, but to see this trope <laughs> finally pop up uh, is is very good. And it's just crazy because he's under the ice. He's looking up, and then McC- McCaig or McCabe, whatever his name is, and Bradford's wife then appear looking down through the ice, and then they just start making out, and I'm just like, I don't even know what's <laughs> happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very odd.
0: I'm like, did he die drowning, or was he like, cheating on your wife
2: with you i don't understand what's been happening here but the assumption also is that his wife who's in the coma it was probably somewhat related to this ice bath time drowning right i mean that's the best i can figure i it's these
0: here's a problem with that i have with this show that's not a like it's fine it's not actually a big problem but when we watch these shows like we encounter dream sequences all the time on these shows but usually I can just like make like half a note about like what the dream meant and we don't need to talk about them because dream logics is always like confusing and there's not really a lot of interest in it. Like it's just kind of random. But this show is 50% dreamscape. <laughs> so it's just I'm constantly breaking notes. I'm like, what about this dream do I need to remember? <laughs> anyway, uh, we then move on. Into just another dream. We'll just keep going. It's just dreams nonstop on the show. We're now in Steve's dream, who uh, you may not know this, Merrick. But in the first episode, he got hit by a dream subway car and Mm -hmm. uh, was given a heart attack of some sort. (laughs) So he's come back to the team and he's been put back in. I guess they're testing him to see how he's doing now that he's back at work. And in his dream, it's completely manic. I Like he's writing all over walls. He seems to be going crazy. He, like, gets hit by that same dream car, a stream subway car again, and wakes up. And they're just like, you're not ready to go back to work, my friend. Your dreams are
2: too erratic. No, what they say to him is he doesn't have enough confidence.
1: <laughs> that was the scene where he he's, like, annoyed at Nathan. And then he tells him, like, oh, I can't believe this dream clinic is being run by somebody with with insomnia. Was that it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Those two... They seem to be friends, but they, like, they've basically established their relationship as, like, one of them's a little too gung-ho, and the other one's a little too safe. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're, they're a real uh, yin and yang, those two. So they're always button
2: heads. They're real Cagney and Lacey, am I right?
0: <laughs> Very, everyone knows that reference. They're loving it. <laughs> At any rate, this is a, mostly just to point out that, like, hey, Steve's still on the show, everybody. Don't worry. He's still around. He's just not allowed to go into dreams. And I will say one thing, and you may not know this, Merrick, but uh, Costigan, Ben Costigan, who joined them in the first episode, he's a military pilot. He came in the first episode to have his dreams looked at because he was being menaced by a, like, monster in his dreams. They cured that for him, and then, like, in the last 36th the episode, they're like, well, we cured you. Do you want a job here? And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I kind of followed a little bit of that because they were – they mentioned that somebody had – um somebody had troubles with their dreams and that they were looking into it. And I kind of flashed and saw his face. Mm-hmm. And then their their conversation was that he was a fighter pilot or something and he's trained for these things. And I'm like, okay. But then he didn't really do much in episode two. So then it really only clued me in in episode four when I was like, wait a second, is this the same guy?
0: <laughs> well, it is interesting because this is where Steve's biggest point comes up is he's just like, I can't go. You're, you're banning me from dreams. You're benching me from the dream team. Um, but you're letting this uh, costume go in. He's completely untrained, and uh, they just wave him off. I'm like, it's a very good point. Like, it just doesn't make any sense why Costigan is here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I will make one argument though. Ben does do a lot in episode two. He eats a lot of ribs.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay.
0: That is true. He does spend a lot of time at that bar enjoying enjoying racks of ribs.
1: Oh, oh! In episode four.
0: Yeah. Uh. uh no. This I. Oh, okay. I don't remember which episode we're even watching now. You're right. It is episode four.
1: <laughs> um, so I just want to ask, in the earlier episodes, did they explain the whole hand signal thing that Kate does?
0: Essentially, she has a data, it's called a data glove, and she does quote-unquote sign language to communicate out of the dream, so she's able to, like, so they can talk to her in her dream and her way of communicating back is she wiggles her fingers and, like, sends yeah. them little text messages.
1: So... Do they ever explain how she can do that or if that's why she's on the team? It's just a fact.
0: She, she's just, she's just, that's, that's what she's good at. I mean, it is weird that no one else on the team has that capability. It's yeah. just Kate. But no, she has a PhD in like dream symbology. So there's not, there's nothing special about her fingers. Okay. That would be great though. She had like, she had some brain disorder that, her, that like made her fingers move a lot while she slept, and they realized that was why she's so useful to the team.
1: I thought that it might have been established, yeah, in, in the episode. Or she before. had
2: ex- exceptionally large fingers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just really long, really long fingers.
2: <laughs> to be fair, based on Nathan's hiring practices, that makes as much sense as anything else. He could have seen her walking down the street and goes, look how long her fingers are. I think he's ready for the team. <laughs> um, anyway, we've now done...
0: Off the top of this, two backstory dreams for our, like, leads. We haven't even started talking about which, which the story is. Which is why I wasn't sure if we were, watching, we were talking about two or four yet. Because here here's the plot for this episode. Finally, a young boy comes in to visit the Morpheus Institute team. And he's been having violent night terrors. Like, he gets up at night and just trashes his room. And um, they brought him in to see what's wrong with his dreams. And I gotta say, this kid has... It took me forever to understand the family dynamic here. But, like, he has a super complicated family. So... They come in and they're like, both of his parents were orphans. And I'm like, okay. But one of those orphans has a sibling. At least one of them has a sibling. So this is also obviously, all right, but they're still orphans, right? <laughs> then they're like, "The his mother was recently committed to a psychiatric hospital after the boy's infant sister drowned at a lake. And now he's living with his dad, his aunt, and his aunt's daughter, his little like cousin. And I just was, like, trying to track. him like, so what? how much of this family dynamic do I need to keep track of? It's so complicated.
1: And I don't think there's any purpose why they were orphans, right? The establishing scene was like, okay, here are his parents and his little sister. No, these aren't his parents. That's his aunt? Okay, I didn't catch that. Like, it took a while to figure out. And they were orphans because they wanted to put the church symb- um, symbolism into the dreams.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it
0: was weird, right? Like, that. that seemed to be the only reason... They were, like, but they,
1: I don't know, like, couldn't they have just gone to church? Well, you know what they're trying to say? No. Because it's late 90s. They're trying to say that you're an orphan, so you're damaged. Uh. Like, that was what they were saying, these writers.
0: Poor orphans. I mean, it's even tough. I, like, I have trouble imagining an orphanage in 1997. Like, what's this, like, orphanage look like?
2: Yeah. Can I make one quick point, Luke? Yeah, of course. One, we should mention that the aunt is played by Anna Gunn who most people know from uh, Breaking Bad, but unfortunately seems to be saddled with playing really unlikable women. That seems to be her, her niche. But uh, more importantly, something I realized is mostly, mostly in this episode is they have this family come in for what essentially is a weird version of therapy to figure out what's wrong with this kid. But at no point do they ever talk about the pay structure and I started thinking back on previous episodes. I have no idea how this business runs. They've got at least five people and all that equipment to pay for. What are they charging people? It never comes up. It's a good question. How do they pay for that hotel they apparently work out of? Because it seems like it's pro bono, doesn't it?
0: I think in this episode they might even imply they're going to do this one pro bono.
1: He did, yeah. He said um, "Is cost an option. He said, oh, don't worry about it. Like, he waved it off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry about it. I, I don't <laughs> I'm a terrible business owner. You know what? And, I mean, this dad... He says or it was actually aunt I think but they say that they've been to six psychologists already and I'm thinking like how long have these night terrors been happening <laughs> if you've been to six psychologists already and gotten nothing
0: well I can tell you uh, it's been two months uh, because at some point they go to visit mm-hmm. the mum in the psychiatric hospital and she's just like he hasn't seen me in two months and they're like well that, that's it because he hasn't seen his mum in two months that has to do with when the night terrors started
1: new psychologists every weekend <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is true the timeline that's the only way it would work it is funny though uh, uh, on this show i don't think that an episode has gone by in which they haven't time stamped exactly when the nightmare started with an event in that person's life they're always like well that's when it started that, that's the timestamp." stamp hmm. anyway we very quickly jump into this kid's dreams and they you know his dreams are taking place in a big old spooky church with like a big glowing cross and uh as they enter, nobody can speak in the dream. They're like, this is weird. We can't talk in here. Or that's what uh, the data glove types anyway. And we very quickly meet a character in this dream that uh, Kate will explain, thanks to her uh, degree in symbology, is an archetypal trickster figure who is also a defense mechanism. And he is, he is known as the Smiling Man. Hmm. Do you guys
2: recognize that actor? Of course. Yes. But I don't know yeah. what from what.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: It's Harry Harry Grainer. He's, be, he's one of those, like... It just actors being in a million things. I personally know him from a sitcom only I love, which was Dear John, which was a early '90s sitcom, and he was in that. That's what I know him best from. But again, it was only me and you know the three other people who love that show. Dear, I
0: haven't even heard of Dear John. It's a deep, deep cut for you. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. He is here, and he's playing a very tricksterish character. He's like all energy. It's it's very over the top. It reminded me of Jordan. Do you remember Matt Fruer and Generation X? I was just like, I guess Matt Frewer is unavailable this week.
2: Yeah, it's the exact same, like, borderline almost too annoying to watch.
1: <laughs> I was thinking Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson.
0: Oh, Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson. That's a good one, too. <laughs> um, but yes, he's, he's over the top. They actually, even at some point, because he's always smiling, that's his big character trait, they do this uh, wonderful CG smile where they really <laughs> pull his lips up very high. And because i've for some reason have started watching enterprise for the first time i i was i was very familiar with this smile because that is something they do with the character dr flocks on that show all of the time he has that same cgi giant smile
1: mm-hmm.
0: people uh they don't do it enough i think everyone should have like a, a disconcerting smiles all the time sorry you don't think they do it enough yeah more more of it. more for you okay <laughs> um anyway he's there he's kind of i guess we're supposed to expect he's Protecting the kid from something. In this case, he uh, when the kid comes in, he he takes him over to the baptismal fount where he he takes the water of baptismal fount and forms it into a gray Hulk action figure the kid can play with. So that the defense mechanism in his dream can just spend his time talking to Kate and uh, Doctor Bradford.
1: <laughs> so can we talk about that toy for a second? Was this? I'm assuming it was a real toy, like he yeah. said, marketing. But like, why did the Hulk have missiles?
2: <laughs> it, it was the late 90s man they had to have the action figures had to have missiles
1: that's true that's true
2: we'll see more of these toys like at
0: some point <laughs> mid-episode there's literally a break in the episode where they seem to do a commercial for these toys because like one of the characters vincent and this kid just play with the entire line of these hulk action figures for like 30 seconds or like, check out this hulk isn't he cool and I actually did, that's what I, my opening says that I tried to Google and figure out what these action figures were and they're just, they're from a toy line from 96 and I was wondering if maybe David S. Goyer had written some uh, Hulk comics or cartoons and he was trying to cash in a little extra money, but I couldn't find anything. I like to think he had a cut of that, those toy sales though, so he's like, we gotta get some of my toys into this show.
1: Did it happen, did the dream sequence happen before Vincent was reading that big thick heavy book but it was actually a Hulk comic? Or did that come after?
0: That's a good question. I think it might have been, I think they might have gone into the dream and he was reading the Hulk comic. Cause that, there was like a whole bunch of, you're right, he was reading a graphic novel of the Hulk and it just, there was a whole bunch of references to the Hulk in this episode. And it, I kept expecting it to be like thematic, but it was more just like they wanted to just be like, hey, the Hulk, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, uh, it's at this point that the kid's distracted with his Hulk figure and the like smiling man starts really addressing Kate and Bradford in the dream. And they're like, oh, this is unusual, I guess. And then the Smiling Man does a quick step around a mirror or something. And when he comes back out, he's transformed himself into this McCabe McCabe character, Ray Wise. And I guess we're supposed to get this idea that – I guess we'll find out as they – like, they cancel the dream immediately and they come out. And we're supposed to get this idea that somehow – I thought this was implying there's, like, a universal dreamscape, but it turns out – Doctor Bradford's subconscious is leaking into the kid's subconscious when they're in the dream world, which is apparently something that's new to this show. But like the dream, the co-dreamer's dream can seep into the dreamer's dream. Although, don't worry, he assures us it's only a ten
2: percent seepage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you'd bench me if I if if I had five percent. <laughs>
2: no, I like that when he says it's ten percent. It sounds like an oil company like trying to euphemistically talk over problems. They're like, it's only 10% that's leaked. So not a big deal, not a big deal. And also, (laughs) I guarantee this idea of your own subconscious infiltrating other people's dreams when you go in, I guarantee we're never going to see that again for the rest of uh, the series. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I feel like they're going to just rewrite the rules every episode.
2: (laughs) That's what I mean. I think it's just like it was convenient to have this sort of corollary with This kid uh, in the lake and then also Nathan's apparent lake-related drowned past. But I think it's not going to ever come up again.
0: Yeah, it could be. I mean, after establishing that there's some seepage in the dreams, they just hop back into the kid's dream. And this time they manage to find a door at the back of the church, which leads them out to this giant lake. And and we come to realize that this this kid is a a fear of water or something because they see this lake and the kid starts freaking out. And uh, back in reality, he is having a seizure in his dream pod. And uh, while his parents are very worried about the seizures child's having, the staff at the Morpheus Institute assure them, oh, a seizure is a perfectly common side effect of dreamwalking. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, there's some problems with your technology, I feel (laughs) like. Anyway, uh, they send this kid home after his minor seizure. And uh, that night, he gets up during his night terrors, finds a knife, and uh, wanders up to his sleeping aunt. And uh, I guess attempts to stab her to death in his dreams. Unfortunately, he does. When we cut back from commercial, we come to realize he missed her and has just stabbed the bed repeatedly. This is where I got the most confused about this family dynamic because they come back. They're like, oh, he stabbed the bed. And then the dad's like, oh, well, it makes sense. That's the side of the bed his mom slept on. And I was just like, are the aunt and the dad sharing a bed? Is that what's happening I think that's here? what
2: they're implying. It seemed like there was supposed to be something, maybe a little bit darker happening here, but they were just like, "What if we just mention it and never talk about it again?"
1: I agree. I think that they were like, they were going one way, and then they were like, "Maybe we shouldn't." But they like, they established that uh, it's, it's different beds because he goes up to the dad first, and then he walks down a hallway and goes oh. to the aunt.
0: oh, oh, but right.
1: like, but at the same time, like, I was getting that too. I was like, they're not actually related. They were raised together. Is that your... At this point, I was starting to think, is the cousin the dad's kid? But I was thinking that he had slept with his orphan sister thing. And I was like, there's... What is happening?
0: That's what's so confusing, I know. At this point, I was just like, oh, so she's the sister of the mom in the psychiatric hospital. But later, they make it very clear. It's like, this is the dad's sister. Yeah. But maybe what they're saying is, uh, when... The mom and the dad did live together before she went to the psychiatric hospital. They just had separate rooms. Yeah. They just
2: they just didn't uh, want to sleep together. That's all. <laughs> the main point, Luke, though, is that this kid's not very good at stabbing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Missed the mark entirely.
0: It was, And he had a clear shot at it. Like, it's unbelievable he missed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, but it's, essentially, they know the kid's not well. They uh, bring him back to the psychiatric hospital. For uh, just another trip into his dreams, and this time they're back at that lake. They're seeing a dock on the uh, a dock on this lake. It's got a stroller on top. We're led to believe this is where his infant sister was sitting inside of the stroller. And when he was a child, he accidentally or maliciously, we don't know, pushed the stroller into the lake, drowning his baby sister, whose body was never found.
1: Which they really drive home. And this is the point. Where they, where they reveal that because Nathan comes in and he's pushing and pushing like what's going on and then they pull out the little memory box and they're like here's the thing we never told him and we never talked about it and we didn't tell you because it's not important <laughs> yeah
0: you didn't need to
2: know about the horrific trauma in my son's past to solve his trauma did you?
1: he was only 18 months old how could he have remembered that
2: also how deep could this lake be right by the dock like I mean you're gonna find a baby am I right?
1: yeah there's not much in the way of like currents In a lake?
2: (laughs) It's not going
0: anywhere. (laughs) Um, But yeah, in the dream, basically, we sort of see the situation in which the uh, sister drowned. And the smiling man, of course, appears and challenges the, uh, the boy to basically push the stroller back into the lake. And when the boy does this time, the stroller, like, miraculously floats on water. And there's this whole thing where the, the basically the shadow man is going to challenge him to a riddle and he wants Bradford to get involved. So Bradford has to stand on the lake like Jesus himself next to the stroller. And he gets asked a question about like, can your dead little sister walk on water? And when the kid answers wrong, Bradford gets dunk tanked into the lake, uh, classic carnival game style. <laughs> and uh, they all wake up back in the Morpheus Institute and correct me if i'm wrong you guys i was so confused because they wake up they're like bradford's like well i've solved this mystery the kid killed his sister case closed and they sent him home
1: the kid has has faced his trauma he he relived it so now the healing can begin
0: (laughs) i found this just so confusing because i was just like i don't know if anything's been solved but they really like they're just they just like announce it's like and we're done i'm like okay (laughs) I think they actually say it's like, he just needs to go see a counselor now. And I'm just like, he just needed to see a counselor to begin with. I don't know why he came to dream dreamland. Hold on. Is there a business called dreamland? Just, it is uh, Morpheus Institute slash dreamland. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. So obviously we know the episode's not over. So we, the Ions are just like, uh, I guess this is a little interlude for us to wait for something to happen. And uh, that night after they sending him home, well, I guess he's not cured after all. Cause uh, he burns down his home.
1: At this point, much more expertly. Like, the stabbing, you know, he missed. But this fire, although they show, like, one book of matches, when they cut to showing the house on fire, it's on fire in, like, five different places.
0: Oh, yeah. He he walked around <laughs> the house. He lit every garbage can up. Very, much more effective this time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this just basically brings them back, which... Can you imagine? like, I just don't know why they keep bringing him back to the Morphe Institute. I think it's time to move on to a new doctor's. They're not they don't seem to be helping at all these people. But they bring him back to the Morphe Institute. they tell them he burnt down the house, and then they're just Dr. Braver's like, well, I guess I guess there's more to this dream than we thought. Time to go back into the dream
2: and poke around some more. For Nathan though, that's how he always knows there's you need to go into the dream one more time. When one of his patients burns down a house, he always says, You know what? I think we should go back in.
0: we probably missed something i guess (laughs) but so they go back in but this time to ensure i guess that it goes well they they implant the kid with a hypnotic keyword so they so he can have a lucid dream when we say hulk in the dream (laughs) you'll be lucid i guess which is weird because they immediately go in the dream they basically they meet the smiling man they immediately use the keyword hulk so the kid has hulk powers or whatever is supposed to trigger and the kid basically now challenges the smiling man to stand on the water. And he'll, he'll challenge him to answering a question. And when the smiling man stands on the water, he asks the smiling man, can you walk on water? And when the smiling man answers, no, the kid, uh, the kid reveals the true answer to the riddle. How, how can you walk on water, Jordan? When it freezes.
1: <laughs> so does this have anything to do with uh, Nathan's dream that we've been seeing a whole bunch of times with the frozen water?
0: It's a good question. They don't directly draw correlation, <laughs> but like it, is, it, is, it does bring up the question, like, how much of Smiling Man is in this kid's dream, and how much of this is in Nathan's dream?
2: But I didn't know if uh, Smiling Man actually ever made sense, because I think you said at the beginning he's supposed to be like some sort of representation of a defense mechanism, correct? Yes. It, wouldn't it have made more sense for them to have explained it to the kid and then had him be more lucid in his dream and understand oh, this is actually a portion of me that is stopping me from understanding something, as opposed to a guy who's there who is acting manic for some reason and then loves riddles? Like, I just don't know how that connects in any way with the subconscious.
0: I mean, you bring up a very good question because, you know, he's a manifestation of a we'll call him six-year-old kid's dream, seven-year-old kid's dream. There's no way a seven-year-old kid is imagining this level of manic actor in a suit like it just like doesn't make sense as like a manifestation of a kid's defense
2: mechanism by any means like it feels like something from somewhere else has entered the kid's brain and we'll talk about it shortly but in the next episode i think this doesn't quite jive with the eventual succubus we're gonna see who plays a very similar role
0: yeah I, i don't know what to tell you about this like all i know is like the they seem to want this character to be I think what they wanted it to be was like a wall they can't get past. Really, that's all it is. Because once they f- say the, you can walk on water if it's frozen, the lake freezes, Smiling Man freezes, and then he explodes and shatters. And they're like, now we'll finally see what truly happened that day in this kid's subconscious. Like, so I think he really was just like a wall they needed to get – like it was a door they needed to get through to see what really happened
2: but that's a good point though luke that's what it should have just been a door or like the dock they can like the dock they they can never get to the end of the dock or the water's always getting further or something like that that actually seems kind of dreamlike and in retrospect you go oh that makes sense the kid was trying to illustrate through his own dreams something but it's like you're right. Like, oh, he he I thought it was going to be like, oh, by the way, he was molested by this guy cuz why is this guy showing up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So two things there. Absolutely, it would have made so much more sense to have like a dream logic thing that a kid would relate to, like the the ever ever elongating doc, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the molestation molestation themes were there with we can't talk. This person comes out and says, "Hey, we're going to have a whole bunch of fun, kid." Like it was. I mean,
0: it's all set in a church at that start. It really yep. was felt like it was leaning in that direction.
1: Oh, uh, it was uncomfortable at first, and then it was like, no, 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 no. It's not that at all. I'm like, okay, cool.
0: He's just a trickster. <laughs> the writers of the show, they start writing scenes, and they're like, oh, it all takes place at church, and there's a creepy man, and then like someone in the, someone in the network's like, is he going to get molested? They're like, what? No, we never thought of that. Or like, why <laughs> is the sister sleeping in the dad's bed? They're like, what? Why
1: would you Why would you read into that? We'll cut around that. We'll cut around that. <laughs>
0: Uh, at any rate, what we get to see now is what really happened that day his sister uh, was pushed into the lake. And what we see happen is we see him as a small child watching his baby sister in, like, a little, like, crib that's next to the water. Which, listen, why both his parents are, like, nowhere to be seen? Like, this, these parents have some questions to answer, leaving their small children by this lake. But essentially, the aunt apparently found out where her brother was vacationing drove out there without telling them stole the infant daughter out of the crib and then pushed she herself pushed the stroller into i guess effectively make it look like she drowned because she felt the brother's wife wasn't a good mother so she needed to raise the small daughter herself but abandon the small boy with the bad mother i it was just like the cra- And they, they go on and say, it's like, well, she couldn't have kids, so this was the only way. And I'm just like, I don't know if this makes a lot of sense.
2: I kept thinking about how did she, like, I'm assuming they're all like, a cottage or something together. That's an awkward drive home where they're like, where'd that, is that our daughter? She's like, no, no, it's not.
1: They showed, um, they showed the trailer. Like, they had a drivable, like, a, a RV that was there. So I assume that the mom's, like, napping in the RV and she's left the kids out on the beach I mean she she mentioned that she wasn't or the dad mentioned that the mom fell asleep by accident because she'd been up right. all night but yeah like it, it was okay so the sister just drives out frames this baby and then only steals one kid yeah exactly
0: it is it very confusing because like, and they even say it, it's like and then you never saw your sister again for four years, <laughs> <laughs> years. three years sister. yeah
1: years what? that wasn't a question your daughter just died and your sister didn't show up that's true (laughs)
0: we're having a funeral for my dead infant daughter she's like i'm really busy this weekend
2: it is a major problem though because the twist is supposed to you know be a surprise obviously at the end but the mental gymnastics you have to do to make it work don't really make it much of a payoff at the end because it you're like well then none of this makes sense in any sort of world logic at all i mean it really
0: is too because we said that you said at the start i believe one of you is just like there's this little girl niece who's, like, lives in the house, and they just keep cutting to her. And even the aunt, like, you, you're the entire episode, you're like, there's no purpose to these two in the story. And they're they're only, like, basically hanging around the background so that they can have this big reveal at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there's a couple of shots where she's, like, framed in the middle while other people are having a discussion. You're like, look at this six-year-old girl. And you're like, hmm.
0: <laughs> but mystery solved good news for this family uh their daughter is still alive (laughs) they just get to and she's in their home it's so easy (laughs) the family's reunited and the episode kind of wraps up with uh going back to bradford's dream about uh, uh this this character who drowned at the stanford institute he goes to he goes to burn a photo for some reason of him and his friend tosses the photo in the fire and the uh photo of ray wise in the fire gets a big cg smile so uh, I guess maybe Smiling Man's coming back?
1: Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, I thought at several points in this episode, I'm like, okay, are we watching a supernatural-type show? Like, is this is this actually like an invading force that's in their dreams?
0: Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking it's going to go that way. And so far, every episode has decided it's like there's always a scientific, symbolic explanation. There's never been anything supernatural. hmm until episode number four. <laughs> Let's get into it. Here's the IMDb summary for Forlorn. So um, what you're saying is on some unconscious level, all these women forlorn are, um, are, are rebelling. I, I'm woman, hear me sublimate.
1: You should hear some of their stories. I mean, there is so much repressed anger at the men in this town. It's just yearning for expression. And look, this is the icon from the copper mine. If I just do this, the symbol for female
0: one by one the men of a small dying mining town of forlorn are inexplicably falling victim to sleep paralysis after dreaming about a red-headed succubus that seduces them before turning into a wolf and attacking them
2: i mean that's it don't need to watch the episode
1: that's a much better synopsis because all of that information is given in like the first three minutes
0: that is true this is, is a great way of just like it's everything you need to know about what's about to happen here
2: also who wants to live in a town called forlorn
0: I'll I'll tell you, it's all uh, yokels from central casting. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching this. I'm just like, this is just like this casting is like a real insult to small town America. It's just like they just tried to
2: like they just cast everyone like stand there slack
0: jawed like you're a yokel. I'm just like, this is very rude.
2: Mm -hmm. It's almost like they've been cast from a horror movie. They're the people you meet that tell you not to go down the road. That's who these people are all. They're like, well, I don't know. There's no gas here and there's no phone, but I wouldn't go down that road.
1: (laughs) So I'm going to preface a lot of my comments on this episode with the fact that it was so much cringe. And (laughs) that comment about the casting and saying like, oh, small town America. Like, yes, they were they were like, you're from a small town. You're the worst. This, you're the worst. This, you're the worst. And they just kept bashing these people. And I was like, this is.
2: At the same time, though, reality? I think this is our sexiest episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean,
1: it starts off
0: in a dream that is really... This is the most softcore we've seen since Nightmare Cafe, probably. I'd agree. <laughs> uh, we see a, a real greaseball going into a mining cave. He meets a, he meets a lady in there who strips down to have sex with him. And uh, when, uh, when she asks him... If he loves her, and he he says yes, of course, but uh, she does not believe him, so she turns into a wolf, chases him into the woods, he steps on a bear trap, and then is eaten by that wolf.
2: I mean, fair enough.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Mm. And uh, this dream, it turns out, is affecting several of the men in the town. They're all having this exact same dream, and we are going to see it repeated five, six times in this episode. We are going to say this exact same sequence of events with a different
2: man in that role so many times. Let me just bring it up now, and I'm sure we'll get into it more as we go through. Does this make sense, just overall for this show, that they're going into people's dreams because they want to solve some sort of mystery? Fine. Yes, but yes. But why would the people keep having the same dream over and over and over? It kind of makes sense in this episode, but in other episodes, they've led the person to to a certain thing so they could solve it. Like in the first episode, they were like, anything happened in your childhood? So the guy goes to his childhood home. Or hey, we're in a church. There must be something here with smiling guy or whatever it is. But it just seems like there there should be another step of them having some sort of conversation and investigation and then pushing it into the dream. But in this, it's like, what, they, these guys just keep having the same dream over and over and over and over for all eternity?
0: Yeah, this episode, they certainly aren't doing investigation into the dream. They just seem to be, like, going in and watching the, what dream they're having. They're like, oh, that's weird. They're all having the same dream, but they don't, like, attempt to make— I, And I'm not sure if the idea is these men— Because they're all—basically, what's happened is they all have sleep paralysis, basically. Not, when they all woke up, the they, part of your brain that keeps you from thrashing around at night hasn't turned off. So they can't talk. They can't move. They seem to be conscious, but they're just, like, stuck in this paralysis. But they don't imply that they're like... They imply their minds are still working. So it does feel like they'd be able to talk to the people in the dream. But they never do. They just let these men relive the nightmare over and over again.
1: Yeah, you'd think that, like you said, that their established process is they're going to contact these people. And they're going to walk them through and ask questions. But they don't do that. They just watch the show.
0: Yeah, they're just like, what? Let's see what happens in this erotic dream. Oh, it's the same. One
1: at the
2: same... Is it also implied then that... Let's say I'm one of these dudes in the dream. I'm with the woman she eats me as a wolf, I then go and do it again over and over and over and over with no knowledge of what just previously happened?
1: I think that's what's implied, yeah. And I mean, they also establish like, hey, we're doing a house call to this small town. We've only brought two pods because we couldn't get a slightly bigger truck and bring three. (laughs) So it's only Kate who's in there. Maybe they just want to be observers because they only have one person.
0: Yeah, they never really explain what's, like, this is, it does feel like a little bit of a break from the usual, like, their investigation. This investigation is primarily done in the waking world. Anything happening in the dream world is just observing this dream over and over again. Although, man, what a day on set. You just set up that camera once, and you just cycle, like, seven actors through the exact same setup. (laughs) They're all just standing (laughs) next to the cameras, like, you go. All right, now you go. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yes, they've been invited out to Forlorn to investigate this. Uh, the CDC has called them in, but uh, as the 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 like head of the CDC who's writing this, he's not too happy about it. But he's been forced to bring the Morpheus Institute in because Bradford has powerful friends in Washington. <laughs> like, why does man with crazy dream institute have powerful friends in Washington? It doesn't
2: seem like he would. Yeah. It also feels a little bit like uh, just of its time of this. You saw a lot of this sort of government uh, mistrust in TV. I think post X Files, where it's like these government organizations—they're all up to something, and they don't like each other and all. It's like because, like in this episode particularly, Nathan's really snarky. Like he makes some comment about the CDC, and then later on he's being snarky. And I'm like, why? Who cares about any of this?
1: <laughs> well, and and then the um, the way that the episode ends—not to give too many spoilers—but it totally plays into that trope of the government is dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah the government's stepping in to take over and i was just like this is a new turn for this show why is the show upset with the government suddenly <laughs> anyway uh, the Forlorn has basically been quarantined because of these dreams they don't know what's going on but a whole bunch of guys are doing it but and as kate points out no ladies have had this dream yet so uh she starts formulating some theories about mass hysteria and like why it might only be affecting men and like it's interesting she's kind of pointing toward like if they're all from the mind maybe some sort of traumatic event happened or it's psd and she starts bringing up like oh there was a town that had a similar event back in the 70s where they all shared some sleep paralysis like she starts bringing all these ideas up and uh bradford could not be more rudely dismissive of her this episode anytime she brings up an idea he's just like i don't like
2: it
1: no that doesn't make sense
2: I actually was pretty sure from the beginning, again, because he was being so dismissive and so snarky, what I thought was going to be the point of the episode was there was, uh, to your point earlier, uh, Merrick, that there was maybe some supernatural force that was taking over this town and making the men all act in a certain way, and because they were now in the town, they were all acting more aggressive or insulting towards women i thought that's where it was going to go and they they kind of implied it with the performances but then that's not what it is all
1: no and then it just comes off as really horrible misogyny
2: yeah
0: there is literally so many scenes where kate is trying to theorize what would be happening here and you think it's going to be oh there's something horrible in the subconscious that's making the men mean but then at the end of the episode they're like no the men on her team are just mean to her
1: yeah (sighs) (laughs)
0: and she just plays it off
1: okay so two more quick things one of the dismissive things uh for some reason bradford nathan tries to play off like dismiss her in front of the cdc guy like oh don't don't worry about that collective unconscious thing we haven't developed that and suddenly he's on the government guy's side
0: yeah he he seems really he seems to really want to impress the cdc man for some reason
1: (laughs) and then the other thing when she brings up the um the other village that happened a couple of years ago, they specifically say, oh, it was down in the Yucatan. And then there's just this whole dismissive tone about this situation that happened to, you know, those people out in the bush that don't know the science. And it's the same tone that they take with with the people of the town and with their guide in the mine later, which you might bring up. Oh, yeah, up.
0: These, these are real...
1: Big city dirt dirt bags come into this small town and really condescending to everybody they meet. And uh I would say two points of pretty out out there racism.
0: Yep, oh, there's that yes, that's definitely happening as well. This episode is real just misstepping every step of the time.
1: Yep.
2: But let me make the point though again. Our sexiest episode. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Really, They're really like, listen, just ignore
0: the rest of this. We're going to make it sex. <laughs> but, yeah, like, we just go through a whole sequence of things where, like, they're looking in dreams. They're not finding answers. They're going to try an experimental drug that might bring them to paralysis. It's not working. We get an, a weird, weird aside where Steve and Vincent are having... They're, they're like having a conversation they're like, hey, want to talk about our sexiest dream since we're in sexy dream town? And they're like, yeah, what's the weirdest one you've ever had? And I'm just
1: like, why am I listening to this? Yeah, exactly. And Jordan, that totally plays into that idea that there must be something affecting them. And then at the end, when there isn't something affecting them, you're like, oh, they're all just assholes.
2: <laughs> it does really feel like this was a rewrite problem. Like we were saying in the previous episode, I think there probably was something... A little bit darker in the episode maybe there was some sort of inappropriate relationship with this kid that they just kind of glossed over in the next draft and that's what it feels like in this too it feels like that was what this was supposed to be and then someone went well we don't want that to happen for some reason so let's just forget it but they left in them all being jerks for no reason
0: it's true it's great uh did you guys did you guys catch the two sexiest dreams these characters had
1: or weirdest sexiest dreams yeah i think i wrote those down
0: I've got I've got him here if you guys want to hear him again. Uh, one of them, his sexiest dream was a pilot whale having sex with a bottlenose dolphin. Mm-hmm. And Steve says, that's nothing. I have a reoccurring dream where a gang of highly trained circus freaks and
2: some melons. I'm like,
1: what? And I'll just leave it at that.
2: I don't know what you call this. I don't know if it's a trope, but you see this a lot in TV where people imply... Uh, something sexual and the joke is always isn't this crazy and I don't think it's funny it never works and it's just you see it all the time like what's that water balloon and gloves and tricycle for they're like well he's got a crazy sex life I'm like what like who thinks this is funny but someone does because it's constant in tv I mean, they've dedicated an entire scene to it in this show. Never comes back. Never, Not important in any way, shape, or form. And it doesn't build the characters at all. It's not like we've learned anything about them. It's just, it's a time waster on a show that's running out of time rapidly.
1: So, you know what? For me, it actually did build the characters. Because to me, having not seen the first episode, I was like, okay, this guy, Vince, um, he's the guy who like who likes Hulk comics. That's all I know about him. And then this other guy, he's mm. been in the background in the other episode. I had nothing. And then he has this, oh, I can outdo you with my weird sex dream. And I'm like, okay, he's the weird horn dog. I mean, that is his character.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
1: So, I mean, maybe that was already established in the first episode, and I get to catch up finally.
0: <laughs> I mean,. I think these characters, honestly, uh, you've seen the most we've seen of Vincent. Knowing he's a Hulk fan, and now this bottlenose dolphin dream, this is the most we've come to know about that character. (laughs) And the only thing we know about Steve is he's a jerk. So this just confirms, hey, he's still a jerk. Yep. Anyway, the team then uh, takes a tour of the mine to look for clues, and they start going down this weird, and they've done this already in this episode, but the guy giving the tour of the mine is like, an indigenous guy he's just like i work at this mine and they're like oh so you're really in touch with your dreams aren't you and he's like what i'm <laughs> just a guy who works at a mine
1: and there's that second point i was talking about i'm like yeah why
0: well they've gone down that road once already this oh, show so.
1: good good good
0: it's uh that's kate's that's sub, kate's subplot is she thinks indigenous people are really into their dreams
1: oh that's so far, Kate has seemed like the most redeemable character in this episode and in the show, but then we get that. But, like, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that guy Vince, he's hes walking down and he's explaining to this guide the, the world has magnetic fields and they cause these things and, you know, heavily imply your ancestors were probably just <laughs> doing that. Your spirituality doesn't matter. And I'm like, oh, no, that does...
0: It's true, and this guy is only in this scene for this one moment to give this tour of this mine. And my favorite part of this tour, mine tour, is he's just like, uh, "They shot a giant bug movie here one time." <laughs> yeah, that was good.
1: I wonder, I wonder if that's actually true. Like, was that maybe they used that um, that location for a bug movie, and this production company knew that and just wanted to throw it in?
0: Yeah, the writers got a tour of the mine at some point, and the guy the tour is like, "They shot a giant bug movie here once." They're like, "Oh, that's a great line. We got to get oh, this let's in the show." That in. Anyway, so, like, and again, all that happens on this tour is, like, Kate sees a symbol that she saw in the dream, and when she points it out, Bradford's
2: like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell me what you saw in the dream. He's like, oh, sir, are you telling me about symbols as the symbol specialist? I don't want to hear about it.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: But the whole this whole tour of mine is only there because
0: as they're about to leave, one of the women in bookkeeping steps out to tell this guy she he has a phone call, and Kate sees her, and she's like... That's the succubus I saw in all those dreams.
2: (laughs) It's an interesting point, though, because the scenes we're going to come up to next are sort of like talking to her and investigating her, implying that they think she's somehow involved with it, which, okay, I guess that makes sense. But not for this show, because this show has established time and time again that everything you're seeing in the dream is symbolic for something. So why they would think that this woman is not representative of something else, like, could it not just be that... Clearly, there's, there's some connection because all the men are having the same dream. But, like, why they think she has power, specifically this, like, clearly unfortunate woman is, like, involved in some way. And I just—it didn't seem to jive with anything we've learned so far.
0: It is weird. And then—because they take her into an interview immediately after this. And the interview is basically just like, hey, did you have sex with those men? <laughs> She's just like, I dated a couple of them. But yeah. hold on a second here.
1: Yeah. And so that's what I was going to talk about. That's set up there where they— put her into, like, a barn on a chair in the middle of this empty space and bring in the sheriff. It looks like they're going to torture her. Yeah, and they bring in the sheriff for some reason. And it's like, why is this suddenly a criminal investigation when it's supposed into to be a this symbolism? woman's sex life. Yeah. It was like, can't we just have a conversation with her? Maybe if you said it in the diner, there might have been <laughs> some actual narrative build.
0: They have to bring her aside and say, hey, do you sleep with a lot of men? And she's just like... <laughs> this is rude. And then they're like, alright, we're sorry we were very like, a, a, much of an attack on your lifestyle. Could we invade your dreams? Yeah.
1: And, you know what, she's actually like really helpful for a second when she's like, wait, do you think that it's a venereal thing? Like, she's worried <laughs> for these people. And herself, but like...
0: It's true. And then like, this sheriff who has not been a character, other than to point him out at the beginning, it was just like, hey, that's the sheriff. And you're like, I don't care. He's now back in a big way, because he is married after this interview where they're like, we're going to go into your dreams and poke around just see if you have anything to do with all this paralysis. The sheriff takes her out back of the mind. just like, hey, Anna, I've been cheating on my wife with you and I don't like these people are asking questions about you. So uh, I'm just going to push you off this cliff
1: out of left field.
2: I get that he didn't want the affair revealed, <laughs> no. but like you could have said this to the these. Let's say for some reason, these dream people have some authority. He could have said, just so you know. I've also had a relationship with her. It's unrelated. Why that suddenly makes him a murderer? Is this because he's murdered people in the past? It's like no, just just because we need to get rid of her. I was just gonna say, and he like just walks her out of that barn
1: and then just pushes her off the nearest cliff. That's actually two scenes later because he goes. She goes to the um unless unless the barn is. Oh, where you're they have right. The... You're right.
0: They they do go check out the dream pods in the sw- community swimming pool. Yeah, and
1: so he's not even there. So then he takes her after that, and I don't even know. Okay, one more thing uh, in that scene with her interview. This is where suddenly she's like, "You, all these people are going to turn up like those crippled men. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh that's a word <laughs> they're choice.
0: Just, they're just small town yokels. They don't know no better. <laughs> but yes, uh, she's now dead. Uh, Also pregnant with the (laughs) sheriff's kid. I don't know. Who cares? (laughs) Of
1: course, and she's pregnant because, of course, she is.
0: Just a little throwaway line. Um, But so she's dead. Their only lead is gone. The sheriff goes to bed that night, wakes up paralyzed in the morning.
2: That's what happens.
0: And the Marcus Institute people are just like, "This is crazy." How can she be attacking people from beyond the grave? And I'm just like, so you think this is now like everything I know about this show is you don't believe in psychic connections, but now you're like, you're flat out just like somebody's attacking men in this town in their dreams. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening anymore. Mm -hmm. And like, this is when Kate starts like, she really starts pitching this idea about like, there's this like, maybe what's happening in this town is this underlying misogyny that all the women in the town, perhaps their subconsciousness are attacking the men to like offset it. And like, once again, Every colleague in this place just shuts her down. Just like every single one of them is just like, we just hired you to be a pretty face. Shut your mouth.
1: And she calls them out on it.
0: She does. And at some point they kind of half acknowledge it, but they also still dismiss her. And she's forced to like giggle it away and be like, I guess you're right. Yeah. They're a jerk.
2: She's like, I got an idea. They say, no, you're stupid. She's like, guys, you shouldn't say I'm stupid. And then he's like, women, am I right? And then they all laugh about it.
1: Yeah. And then, and then she's like, I guess it's just my mystique and he's like <laughs> I don't get that. Like oh that was just the worst scene.
0: It is funny cuz like the uh, this part of it's part of the episode it feels like they're about to get into some like really uncomfortable like areas but like perhaps like an interesting place for the show to go to discuss this idea of like misogyny and like Like, women's roles and, like, how men treat them. It feels like they're about to get into it and, like, seriously in this episode. And then they just, like, wave it away like, women, am I right? Yep. Jordan, you mentioned this earlier about Costigan, who is very backseat this episode. He's barely doing anything but sitting at this diner eating ribs. And that is because he's going to be the one character who is not like the big city snob. And he makes friends with the owner of this bar, Lila. So we'll get a few scenes where the two of them are really chatting it up. They're becoming, you know, friendly. He's a a nice guy. They're having a good time. But for some reason, in this scene where they're being very dismissive of Kate, she walks up to their table because they're having this meeting at her restaurant. She's like, "Uh, do you guys need anything else uh, at the bar? And Costigan just turns to her and she's like, shut up. Why are you talking to me? (laughs)
2: out of nowhere like his character has not been rude to her this whole time but suddenly he's just like the rudest man on earth to her well it's because it's a plot point and that's why they need him to do that but it doesn't you're right it doesn't make sense in this world because all he would have had to say is no thank you and she would have left just the same as saying something nasty to her but it's like oh because it's gonna be a point later and it's just it's a shame not that this this episode was you know hitting home runs into this point but it's such an easily fixable thing that doesn't stick out so badly if you just have him just be normal but it's like again i was like there's no way he must have some something's happening to him there's no way he'd be such a jerk it's like no he is he's just a jerk for no reason yeah
0: this is where it feels the most this is where i thought the same thing jordan i thought this was going to be like everyone in this town is being affected by something so the men are becoming jerks uh and this is what like i and it felt because it's so against character for him Mm -hmm. to be so rude to her that i was like oh now i see where this episode's going but it turns out it's not. Like, he was literally—we're just supposed to know his character is a jerk to waitresses sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but because he was a jerk to Lila, uh, he heads home that night. And—oh, uh... actually, before I get into that, I'm just going to raise one point. I'm going to ask if you guys notice this in this scene. It's very minor, but they imply in this scene where they're being rude to all the people at this restaurant that none of the men on the team are sleeping because they're worried— about the succubus getting them in their dreams. Is this supposed to be a subplot we were supposed to pick up on that they're not sleeping and maybe that's why they're jerks?
1: Good point, because they did mention the uh, the pills and they kept calling for coffee.
0: I don't know. It it doesn't matter, but like I just kept note like they just kept dropping weird hints to other things happening that maybe you're right, Jordan, maybe they like rewrote this episode or re-edited it so heavily. There's just all these weird things that i'm just like is this important or did you guys just forget this was in the episode
1: two other times they've really gone out of their way to show that people in the town are not sleeping the cdc guy says everybody is like on edge and they're not sleeping and when they do the establishing when they drive in and they're just panning across all of the locals you can see that there's makeup on their face showing that they have bags under their eyes
0: oh Man, this episode is such a mess. Like, there's yeah. So there are clues to it, but for whatever reason, they
2: don't want to use them. Luke, it may be a mess, but I will make the point. It's our <laughs> sexiest episode. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't
0: take that. You yeah, can't from take it that, that, that away, away. For sure. No. Anyway, let's go back to what I was gonna say. Is Costigan's rude to Lila at the bar that night? He goes to bed immediately, has the same paralysis dream, attacked by a wolf, sex with a succubus. He's now in his paralysis coma. That morning. They get a call, they're just like, the rest of the Morpheus is dude, because they don't keep track of their own members. They get a call and they're like, Terrible news, Costigan's paralyzed. They found him at the mine last night. It's like, wait, what? He sleeps at the mine? <laughs> yes, yes he does. I thought I was like, is this a plot like he was investing in the mine and something happens like, nope, they found him asleep at the mine and paralyzed. I'm like, I don't know what's happening on this. Anyway, doesn't matter. Just to drive home that it's really Lila the Barrow and who's responsible for all this paralysis. She basically shows up to visit this like incapacitated Costigan and like real like Hannibal Lecter style just like stand over him and mock his paralysis and it kind of explains just like I'm not the most attractive lady on earth, so I'm mad at men. So that's why I started I realized suddenly I don't know why, but I can go into their dreams and get my revenge
2: on them with this paralysis. Um, here's some flowers <laughs> you know what though i'm gonna give her that a lot of times you see villains in tv you know give their whole plan and mock the hero but very very seldom do you see them give a nice little gift when they leave (laughs)
1: true also she's a master of disguise did you notice how she was wearing those blue scrubs and as she left nobody noticed her and she took them off and held them to her chest
0: it's true. She she's a trickster that way, and it's because she's not she's she's a middle-aged woman, so nobody notices uh, her. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: plays to theme. There you go.
0: It all plays to the theme. At any rate, because she's left these flowers, Costigan is able to like point at them with his eyeballs when the team comes to visit him, and they're like, "What is it? What is it, Lassie? What are you trying to tell us?" And the, and he because he's a because he's a pilot. This is why this comes important. He can blink in Morse code, <laughs> which is good because now they don't have to like have the team discover any mysteries or learn anything he can just explain with his eyeballs and morse code lila's the bad guy go get it takes a
2: while but it but it's effective
1: did you notice that lila left the exact same plant for some other patient i don't remember exactly which one it is but they do show that exact same little potted plant in a different scene when they're going through uh the people
0: oh that's crazy i know i hadn't noticed that there's, like—I'm not going to get into this too much, but, like, while all this kind of, like, side plot is happening with, like, them discovering Lila, there's, like, a tiny thread that gets picked up and dropped immediately, which is, I think, to raise the stakes. But, like, I think the sheriff has a heart attack mid— Yeah, he dies. —paralysis and dies. And then they're like, uh-oh, we have to save Koskin for this happens to him. But I'm like, there's, like, 12 other guys here who this ha- hasn't happened to. I don't know. There's this weird—they're constantly trying to raise the stakes with these, like,
1: random throwaways. That's a trope, right? The murderer who is going to get away with— killing the small town girl dies yeah yeah Justice was i mean served. they couldn't
0: let her yeah they couldn't let him get away with
1: it for throwing a pregnant promiscuous woman off of a cliff just because she liked to have sex
0: had it coming <laughs> <laughs> this show is so bad yeah um, anyway uh kate goes and just like confronts Lila. she's like yo you're the succubus we figured it out thanks to blinking and like, Lila freely admits it's true. She's like, listen, I do it because people are, men are very dismissive of me and this is my revenge. But I, have, I, they really make a point. They're like, we don't know the science behind this. So everybody just has to constantly be like, we have no idea how it works. But she's doing it. And she basically agrees to let Kate go into her dreams to investigate. And uh, they're all like, She's lying, though, right? She's going to attack you in their dreams. Kate's like, 100%. We cannot trust her in any <laughs> way, shape, or form.
1: I loved that. I loved that. Because I was watching the scene, and I'm like, why is she suddenly, oh, no, yes, of course, I should help you. I'm like, that was a really fast thing. And then they cut, like, do you trust her? No. I'm like, oh, that was smart. Well done there.
0: So Kate goes into Lila's dream, but she's, not, she's going to bring a defense mechanism. She brings along with her the concept
2: of a mirror. I didn't understand how this works. I mean, I get it works as a in this plot, but I don't understand wh- how that works at all. And again, let me just mention, we've seen that in, I think, the first or second episode. She could change her appearance if she wanted. So I was like, just turn into a bear and kill the wolf. How about that?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it was very funny. It, they really were like, just so you know, this is a Medusa episode <laughs>
1: They mentioned Medusa, too, when they were saying that different types of succubuses. Right, right. I'm like, Medusa's not a succubus. (laughs) I guess that's true. She's not a succubus. (laughs) I mean, I guess she froze a whole bunch of men. She paralyzed men. There's the connection.
0: This show's genius. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Kate goes into her dream. Of course, she basically, like, she gets to see the, uh, the bar, and it's full of paralyzed men. And then... Uh, she bumps into Lila, who, who's like, hey, I look at all the things I can morph into. I morph into Kate because she's so pretty and uh, this what men want to see, and now I morph into a, a wolf because that's I hunt men as a wolf now. And it's just to like, lay out all the plot points of this, of this Lila character and like, how she does everything. She goes to chase down Kate as a wolf and eat her, but Kate pulls out the mirror and shows Lila her own face in the mirror. And of course, like Medusa, she's paralyzed herself.
1: So just killing the momentum on this finale a little bit, I want to jump back to the wolf symbolism because that was actually done pretty cool. And if they did this in every episode, that would kind of be interesting because they were like, what does the wolf mean? And the guys around the table are like alpha male, hunter, murderer. (laughs) And she's like, no, wolves are nurturing and pack animals. And like, so if they had done that, like society's expectation of symbolism versus um real world symbolism and how those like combine in human psyche that would have been a cool plot but no nah, it's just throwaway dialogue
0: no that's uh jordan you mentioned this in the other episode uh when uh <laughs> it last two episodes were all about what happens in dreams it's like everything's the opposite like that's as much research as they oh funny. okay <laughs> truly i believe last episode was like how do we get out of this maze in the real world you'd go left So in the dream world, you should go right.
2: Which, again, they change the rules every episode. So you just have to understand that. So it's like, is the wolf symbolic for something greater? Now it's just like we need something to eat people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She likes wolves.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So Kate
0: defeats her by using a mirror. And now Lila's paralyzed. She's in her own sleep paralysis now. They wake up. The experimental drug that wasn't working before is now working, so all of the men in town have been saved. But, of course, it won't work on Lila because whatever, re- whatever her power, superpower is, it doesn't let her come out of it. And they even say they're like, we'll never figure out how, quote, Lila's witchcraft worked. <laughs> I thought it was very uh, bold of them to call it
2: witchcraft. We were all glad, though, that all the men were saved, but that uh, uh, Violet, who was an unfortunate woman pregnant with someone else's baby, was murdered, right? We were all happy with how that turned out. Yeah, everyone who deserved to be saved was saved.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I wrote a note saying, does the amount of cringe around that lunch table with the main characters and all of the misogyny from the town wrap back around to support some sort of theme? And I'm like, no, because nobody learned anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, nobody learns anything. Everyone gets to go back to the way it was
1: before. (laughs) Yep,
0: But yeah, like it sort of wraps up uh, and Bradford's like, hey, well, we solved the mystery, but uh, let's ask the CDC if we can uh, take that paralyzed woman back to our institute so we can study her for a while. Let's see if they'd be cool with us just like taking her. And the CDC guy's like, oh, you know what? I don't really care, but you're too late. The government has already abducted her and taken her away for their own studies.
1: And that is and that is supposedly like even more menacing than the Morpheus Institute doing the exact same thing.
2: It's true. Maybe uh, Nathan should have just called one of his friends that are in the high levels of government. Be like, "Hey, by the way, pull some strings for me."
0: I mean, that uh, I thought about that too. But I, what I really like too is Kate's just like, "What happened to her?" And we see her getting wheeled away, and Nathan said, "They took her." and kate's like, "Who who are they?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> like he truly is just like she asks like, "Who are they?" And she's, she's just like, "I have no idea. I just said it because it sounded scary." Uh, but that's that's the wrap-up of uh, episode four there. So, I don't know. Do you guys have any final notes before we get into ratings on this? Any any big thoughts we didn't cover?
2: Did we mention that last episode was our sexiest episode?
0: Uh, I don't know if we had. <laughs> Thanks for it. But uh, we should really let people know. Very sexy episode.
2: Yeah. Oh, and I should say the Violet character, the Succubus, was played by uh, Devin Edessa, who I only really remember from My So-Called Life. She was the friend in My So-Called Life.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, let's get in the ratings then. It seems like we've, we've covered everything we need to talk about these episodes. So uh, let's start with uh, the first episode, Night Terrors. Uh, Merrick, we usually do this out of kind of 10, sort of the IMDb star scale of ratings. Uh, so out of 10, uh, how, what would you rate this episode?
1: You know, I want to give it a four because the, the, the mystery actually had me interested a couple of times. But just the jarringness of all of the cuts and the weird stuff. I got to bring it down to like mm, three, and a half.
0: three and a half. I think that's a very reasonable score. Jordan, what, what do you think?
2: I'm right at that same level. I'm going to give it a four to 10. I think the biggest problem this episode was that when you stop and think about it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it does feel like a bit of a rewrite problem.
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh... I think I feel the same. It's it's. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 3.52, I guess. But it is. There's like a mystery there, but yeah, it, it, none of it really jives as soon as you have to think about it. And it's 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 just another weird weird episode. I mean, certainly better than its pilot, but like still not a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Merrick, let's get another Forlorn. Then, what do what do you want to give Forlorn?
1: Uh, that's a two. Um. Generous two. I, yeah, I think so. I think that. It felt like shows that come later that do this better. And so, like, I'm a huge Supernatural fan. I love that show. And so this kind of felt like that. You go out, you solve the mystery, and you interact with a new cast of people in an interesting sort of area. And I was like, there's a couple of things that I recognize and could be good, but mm, nah, can't get it higher than a two.
0: Fair enough. I'm going to go ahead and just give it—I think I was going to give it a one— It feels like a mess it feels like the episode was they banged out a draft with a couple ideas and we're like good enough because like CDC guys important for the first five minutes then he's gone sheriff pops up for five minutes to kill a person then he's gone there's like all these like bigger ideas under the surface that they're just like I don't know misogyny I guess (laughs) I I've heard about I've heard of it before I don't really know what it is
2: but maybe if we drop it in there it'll help the episode I'm gonna be in the minority here and let me just before I give my score I know it's bad and (laughs) i like where this is going Mm -hmm. i agree with all your points however for whatever reason i found this to be the most entertaining episode of all of them we've watched so far and i just (laughs) i I loved how bad it was i loved how dickish the characters were i love how it didn't make any sense it was so dumb and bad and it just it was like fan fiction so i'm gonna give it a five out of ten just because i enjoyed it the whole way
1: wow yeah
2: fair enough I mean, there's something to be said
0: for a bad episode of television, yeah. but uh, That's true. I'm glad it clicked for you. It was, uh, I was just like, oh, how much longer? <laughs> anyway, I guess that wraps it up. Uh, two par for the course episodes for Sleepwalkers <laughs> from what we're finding out. Um, but uh, we'll keep going. See what happens next week, I guess. Uh, Merrick, thank you so much for joining us this week. You've got some stuff to plug. I realize I'm going to plug some of your stuff. So you've got a, your own podcast, Massive Damage Adventures. you want to give us a little a little uh, synopsis for what that's about so our listeners might want to listen? Yeah,
1: for sure. So uh, it is an actual play podcast. So we play pen and paper role-playing games, Dungeons & Dragons, Star Trek, Star Wars, all sorts of various games. Um, every episode that we do is a different game. And we've got a pool of about 40 to 50 players Uh, And so it's always a different cast of people, and we make our characters, we play through a single session story. It's like uh, four hours of us just messing around in whatever game it is. We also do bonus episodes where we review games that have been uh, given to us by uh, publishers as um, promotional copies. And we have a companion podcast to that called Massive Damage Campaigns, where we're playing an ongoing uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, adventure with the same players and the same story going on and on. That's into its second season right now, and that one is sponsored by Monty Cook Games with their their book, Arcana of the Ancients. Uh, Both podcasts are also sponsored by Roll20, which is pretty cool. And um, the last sort of big project we're doing is that we're doing a short twitch campaign when is this episode going to be coming out
0: this is going to be out in two weeks
1: okay so that'll be basically a week before we do this live streamed twitch campaign which is going to be superheroes uh, teenage superheroes that all work or hang out at a mall and we're going to be playing that friday nights uh in april
0: yeah, yeah, this this will be out on the thirtieth. So it'll be just before you do
1: that. Beautiful.
0: Um, I just wanted to say, I what I really like about your podcast is you do because you're doing a whole bunch of different like types of RPGs. Like you'll do these one offs and like really see them. You always do this great like ten to twenty minute opening where you like sort of break down what the what this sort of RPG is. Like you know the theme or like if it's Star Trek and you kind of talk about that. You talk about the mechanics of how it works and like how the players play and kind of how the whole system of the RPG works. There's a lot of systems out there. So that's something I always really appreciate about it. So thank you. Um, you should check that out. If you're listening to this, you might, you might enjoy some, some RPG action on uh, Massive Damage Adventures. Not to prolong this, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch a couple more things I want to know. Uh, you just wrote uh, uh, our uh, campaign for the uh, Expanse RPG, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So that is in its second round of editing. Um, I was brought on by Green Ronin uh, Publishing to uh, write an adventure for an upcoming book called uh, the Free Navy Conflict. So that's going to be published probably this year, maybe early next year, and uh, (laughs) the adventure that I wrote, you get to play as uh, the Free Navy and be real evil.
0: (laughs) So if you're an Expanse fan, watch out for that. Um, And not to drag this on longer, but I'm gonna. I, I saw you're doing something. You're, you're a very busy man. I don't know where you find the time, but I saw that you and a friend also started a Twitter account where you will recommend RPGs people can play. So if someone wants to try an RPG, maybe they've never tried one before, like a real pen and paper roleplay game. You can tweet at this Twitter account at RPG underscore what, and. They will talk to you, and they will figure out what RPG you might enjoy.
1: Yeah, exactly. That came out of a conversation just before we were playing uh, an, a game of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, we play that group every Sunday, and um, we were just like, you know what I miss in this time of pandemic? Just being at a game store browsing, and somebody's like, looking at a game, and you go, oh, you know, did you have any questions about that? And... And sort of, like, helping somebody find the game that they were looking for. And we were like, we should do a Twitter about that. And then my buddy Ian was like, I made it. Here's the password. And we're like, cool, let's do it.
0: (laughs) Thank you again, Merrick, for joining us. Um, And listener, if you want to see some clips from the show, we'll, of course, have those on Instagram and Twitter. The handle there is at Continuum Drag, And, uh... If you want to email us about what a sexy episode that was, you can get us at drag at gmail.com. But that wraps it up for this episode. Listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then.
2: Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seidler. Produced by Jordan Dulick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.